We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. In verse 13, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You know, when a loved one dies in Christ, when they pass on, it can be a very difficult time, even for us here as Christians. Um, But for those who don't know the truth, for those who don't know the Lord, for those who are not in Christ, they weep and they mourn and they cry with no hope. You see, we are so blessed to have God's word and to have his spirit and to have the hope as an anchor for our soul. And basically what we find was going on in the Thessalonian church was that you know, they were living in light of the Lord's imminent return. I mean, they were so excited. They were realizing that Jesus can come at any moment. They were knowing that. But what was happening was uh, in, the, in the meantime, and it could have even been due to persecution because we know that was going on there in the Thessalonian church, uh, their loved ones in Christ were, were dying And so they were wondering, they were weeping, they were mourning, they were asking God, what what about them, Lord? What about the ones who have died in Christ? And it's there that we pick it up. And it's here that we find ourselves in a place where we have to search our own hearts because the truth is the Lord might not wait until I'm done with this message. Jesus can come at any moment. The Bible says he'll come at the twinkling of an eye. That's faster than a blink. That's a one-eleventh of a second. He can come and we need to be ready. The, the video asks that question. Are you ready? Are you in Christ? Are you walking with God? Are you pleasing God? If not, right here, right now, in this moment, get your life right with Lord. You know, here we see Paul says in verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You know, Paul here says he didn't want the Thessalonians to be ignorant concerning what happens when a loved one in Christ dies. And so he writes this message, and he describes those who have died, it's interesting, as those who have fallen asleep. We read that in verse 13. Now, just in case, and I have to just share this with you, because you might come across maybe a Seventh-day Adventist or someone who believes in what uh, they call soul sleep, um, I want you to know the Bible does not teach a soul sleep. The Bible doesn't teach that. According to the scriptures, when someone dies, 
his or her soul leaves their body instantly. We have an example of this. If you would turn over to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus tells a story. Now, there are some who say it's only a parable, but Jesus never used names in parables. It's not a parable. It's a real story of what happened. And Jesus gives the account, beginning in Luke 16, 19, that there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. And so you have one guy, he's got the house, he's got the car, he's got the three-piece suit, he's got the nice meals, everything that you would ever want, and he's got the other guy, and he's a homeless guy. And sometimes we feel sorry for the homeless guys, but maybe you should feel sorry for yourself, because look what happens, he says in verse 21, that this homeless guy desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and they licked his sores, and so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels. Notice that he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his, Abraham's bosom. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from there to you cannot, nor can those pass from there to us. And then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the Bible. They have the Bible. Let them hear the Bible. But he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You see, Jesus gives us insight into what happens when we die. Uh, this was prior to the cross and resurrection. And so in those days when an individual died, instantly they were carried by the angels, and who knows, maybe the demons, but the angels carried the righteous to Abraham's bosom. Right, and so you don't sleep. There's uh, constant, you know, cognizance and consciousness. Right, we have the, the the senses there, the taste and the sound and the sight. And what we find is that when an individual passes away, immediately they're taken into the place that they belong, either with or without God. And so both of these guys died. Both of them had complete consciousness. They had their senses intact, their touch, their taste, their sight, and their sound. And so we have to know this, you guys, that our bodies are like tents where our souls live. And when we die or pass on, what happens is our souls, they leave our bodies. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, where the Bible says we are confident Yes, we are well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, we don't go to sleep. Our souls leave our bodies. And as Christians, immediately when we die, we are in the presence of the Lord. 
Remember when Jesus died on the cross? You guys remember the account in Luke chapter 23 in verse 43? You know, the thief at first, because if you remember, Jesus was crucified and there were two thieves on the side of him, right? And what had happened was uh, they both reviled him and, you know, they said things about him in the beginning stages. But when one of the thieves just watched Jesus die in his love and in his righteousness, one of the thieves repented of his sins right there on the cross. And so you remember what he said? He said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, well, today you're going to go you know, to sleep you know, for a couple of thousand years and and then after that, you know, we're going to wake you up and then you'll be with me in paradise. No, when someone dies, immediately their soul is in the presence of God in Christ or if not, absent from the presence of God. It happens immediately. There's no intermediary state. And, and so what we read back in Thessalonians about those who have fallen asleep and in other similar passages is that the death of the saints is described in a gentle way as those who have fallen asleep. Now, we need to know this. Uh, Paul doesn't want them to be unaware of what happens to the dead in Christ. And uh, part of the reason he doesn't want them to be ignorant is because he doesn't want them to sorrow over this as one of those who have no hope. You know, those who don't know the Lord, when a loved one dies, uh, they have no hope to cling to. They don't have an anchor for the soul. It's interesting, in the ruins of ancient Rome, you can see the magnificent tombs of the pagans there. You can visit them. But the inscriptions upon those tombs are without hope, to say the least. Uh, one of them says this in their tombstone. It says, I was not, I became, now I am not, and I care not. Now imagine that on a, on a tombstone, right? They think after they die six feet under, then it's over? Absolutely not. There is something within us that knows, Lord, there must be a way that I will see my you know, two children again. I will see my mother again. I will see my mother-in-law again. We will see you know, Steve Mays again, Dino who was here a few weeks ago, and then boom, he's gone. We will see him again. There is a ministry of reconciliation that God has wired within us. You see, they die and they cry without hope. But we cry and we need to cry, but we cry with hope. You know, when our loved ones pass on, and it, you know, it's okay to have a certain sorrow. It's actually healthy to weep or cry I believe it's part of the way we're wired when we mourn. It's part of the healing process. You know, remember them. Remember your loved ones. Think of the good times you had together. You know, um, that's all part of the healing process, the mourning process, so that we can grow and go on in life. But what we find, you guys, is that when we are in Christ, we have that. And when we're not, we don't. Paul wants them to know that their loved ones in Christ who had passed always passed away didn't miss out. What happens is they preceded them to glory spiritually. And as a matter of fact, we're going to see today that they will even precede them 
physically. And we're going to see that in our study today. You know, one day we will be together. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 10. And this is his plan that at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. And so he uses some simple logic uh, there in verse 14. Notice what he says. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I mean, that's what we believe. That's what saves us. We believe that Jesus died for my sins and Jesus rose again. And that saves us. If you don't believe that, then... You're not saved. But we as believers believe, and since he you know, conquered the coffin and gutted the grave, defeated death, then we as his followers will follow him in that victory. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23, how Christ has risen from the dead, and he's the first fruits. In other words, he's the one that leads the way for us to follow. We also will rise from the dead. Paul's telling the Thessalonian believers that, you know, those who were there, it's not over for them. They passed away, but let me tell you something. Just as Jesus died and rose again, so will they. But we have a certain order. You see, life over death is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was ministering to Martha in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And so Paul's teaching the Thessalonians about this. He doesn't want them to be ignorant concerning those who had passed away. He didn't want them to sorrow as those who didn't have a hope. He says it's real simple logic. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then those in Christ will also die and rise again. As a matter of fact, notice what he says there in verse 14. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And you're like, well, what does that mean? What's that all about? Well, the rest of this chapter really elaborates on that whole concept, him bringing with him those who are asleep in Christ. You know, it's interesting to me how he says right there, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. You see, this is not like speculation. This is not like, you know, some guy's, you know, hope or fantasy. This right here is not said flippantly. No, Paul says, Jesus gave me his word. Jesus said, Jesus said that we who are still living in the Lord when he returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. And so we read again in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. And so the first thing we see is that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now when I think of Jesus uh, coming like with a shout, you know, to be honest with you, I get pretty excited because I know for him to make something happen, 
He doesn't have to shout, right? All he has to do is probably think, right? I can just kind of think this, or he can whisper, or he can speak in a normal tone. But what we have here is Lord Jesus descending and the Lord Jesus shouting. Now that Greek right, word right there is an interesting word. It's actually used in ancient literature for a captain who's commanding his ship and rowers. It's actually speaking of a uh, uh, general who is speaking to his soldiers. One of the things you'll see about this Greek word is there's always a ring of authority and a note of urgency. And so what we find right here is as the rapture begins, Jesus descends with a shout. And then notice it says, secondly, that there will be a voice of an archangel. Now, this doesn't mean that the Lord himself is an archangel. Um, we know when we read the Bible, the only one described as an archangel in the Bible is Michael, according to Jude verse 9. But this is what's going to happen, you guys. When the Lord comes, and it could be at any moment now. You know, he came the first time. That's when we celebrate Christmas, right? And the Lord Jesus was born in that little stable in Bethlehem. And it's just amazing when you see all the prophecies about his first coming and you're just blown away. But then when you realize that there are more prophecies concerning his second coming. And so he came the first time. He said he's coming again. He's going to come again. It could happen at any moment now. And when he does, he's going to come down. He's going to shout like a general commanding his soldiers, which then leads to the second point, and that is we're like, well, why is there a voice of an archangel? Well, it's because at this point what we find is that Jesus, when he calls us as his church, he will do so even by delegating an element of that duty to the angels. Now, notice, remember when we read in Luke chapter 16, verse 22, that when the beggar died, how was he transported to Abraham's bosom? The angels carried him there. And this is what I believe. And as I study this out, I realize that the Lord says, okay, boom, it's happening. And some type of shout, okay, you guys, go ahead and do your thing. And then, you know, the archangel, who knows if it's going to be Michael or Gabriel, not really sure. But then, then he, you know, speaks his command. And then all the angels, all the angels then go. And for every believer, uh, what the Bible teaches in Matthew chapter 18, and I really believe this, is that we all have a guardian angel. And I wouldn't be surprised, and I can't be dogmatic about it, but I wouldn't be surprised is at the moment of the rapture, when like the angels carry these other guys to where they belong, that our angels are going to carry us to heaven. There's going to be a, a resurrection. There's going to be an ascension. And that's what that voice of the archangel actually does. Now I remember, you know, and again, I don't know for sure. I can't be dogmatic about it because I kind of was hoping that I would just fly myself, right? I was thinking, okay, Lord, I got a new body and maybe get some, some rockets or just kind of fly like Superman. And, and maybe, you know, I don't know for sure what our glorified bodies are, are going to be like. But when I begin to kind of look at the scriptures, I, I start seeing, well, this is how it's happening, huh, Lord? That my guardian angel, the one that's been watching over me all my life, the one that you delegated to me, at that moment, at that twinkling of an eye, he's going to carry me home. That's going to be awesome. 
You know, there's going to be the shout of Christ, like a general commanding his soldiers. And then the archangel, he triggers it with his command to the rest of his angelic force. And then they come, and then we see the trumpet of God described there. It says, with the, with the trump of God. And you know, when you read the trumpets in the Bible, what you find is the trumpets were for two things. Number one, they were for war. Because at that moment, there's going to be a war on planet Earth. And then secondly, when you read the Bible in the Old Testament, not only was it a war, but it was a gathering. It was a gathering of his people. And that's what we find when we read the Bible, and that's what's going to happen at the rapture. Jesus will shout, the angel will speak, his believers will be brought up, and the trumpet of God will announce to the world that the war has begun, and he's gathering his people to himself. You know, when you read this right here, it's interesting. He says at the end of verse 16 that the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, that particular resurrection is in reference to those who have already died prior to the rapture, and it's a reference to their bodies. Remember I told you earlier, 2 Corinthians 5a, that to be absent from our bodies is to be present with the Lord. And so what we find now is those who were absent from their bodies are going to have a reconciliation with their glorified bodies. And we're going to see that their souls and the dead in Christ, they're going to come together. And what we'll find is that you know, the truth will teach them that, man, you don't have to weep over that. You don't have to mourn over those who have gone on before you because, as a matter of fact, they're going to precede you. Then, he says, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, notice it says, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And we read right here that it's at that point, you guys, that we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever. This is a teaching we call the rapture of the church. Now, some people wonder, well, where does the word rapture come from? It comes from a Greek word, harpaso, which is translated rapturos in the Latin Vulgate. And so we get our word rapture from uh, the original language. Now, again, you know, the, the word might not be in the Bible, like the Trinity, for example. The word isn't in the Bible, but it is clearly taught in the Bible. And what that word means, harpaso, it means literally to seize, to carry off by force, to snatch out or away, to claim for oneself eagerly. And that's what's going to happen when we, there in verse 17, when we are caught up together with them. The Greek word is also translated take it by force in Matthew 11:12. It's translated snatch away in Matthew 13:19. It's translated caught away in Acts chapter 8, verse 39. If you get a chance, read that passage, and you're going to find in the Bible a story of Philip who's in one place, and then boom, the Spirit of the Lord just catch, ca- catches him up, and then boom, it takes him somewhere else. It's kind of like, you remember Star Trek? Like, beam me up, Scotty? It's kind of like from here to there, right? The word is also used in 2 Corinthians 12, and verse 2 and verse 4, when Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. You know, we're going to get caught up. Paul says, I was caught up to heaven. It's not, you know, uncommon in the Bible. And we need to be ready, you guys. 
you know, this morning and just kind of getting ready for today and just thinking about the study. I was just thinking about, like all of us here, you know, how how I want to be ready. You know, I don't want to be fighting with my wife when the Lord comes. I don't want to give her a reason to be fighting with me. I, I don't want to be, you know, fighting with my kids or, or thinking something, doing something, saying something, being engaged in anything that would be displeasing to him because I know that the Lord can come at any time. And so what I was just thinking is, man, I want to be ready, and I want you guys to be ready. And we have to just not just get ready. We have to stay ready. We have to stay ready because the Lord can come. He will come at, at any moment, and he'll, and he'll catch us up. One day, and it could be any day now, millions of Christians will be caught up just like Philip was caught up or Paul, and when we do ready for the rapture, are you ready? Is your family ready for the rapture? You know, we have a friend, and he's always joking around. You guys have friends like that? You kind of don't know, you know, when they're serious or when they're just joking, right? But I'll never forget the message uh, on his answering machine. You call his house, and you get the answering machine. And he said this. He said, hi, I can't come to the phone right now. I've been raptured. But if you leave a message, my wife will get back to you as soon as possible, right? <laughs> now, just in case you're offended by that, and you're like, no, a husband shouldn't do that to his wife, you know. I got to tell you, they're still happily married, and they love the Lord, and it, they, they mutually agreed to that message. But I tell you what, when you, when, you, when you call that message, and you hear that message, and you realize that one was taken and one was left behind, it makes you search your heart. Are you really, are we really ready? Is my family ready? Am I doing my part to help them be ready for the return of the Lord? It makes you search. It makes you really wonder. You know, we call it the rapture, and the word has its origin in that Latin word. You know, and, and it's kind of cool when you read right here how he says we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You know, sometimes when I leave the house, because you just never know, right? You never know if this will be the time. I always tell my family, I say, I'll see you here or there or in the air. Because we don't know, and we always have to be cognizant of this. You know, one of the good cross-references for this is over in 1 Corinthians 15, if you would turn there. 1 Corinthians 15 has been described as one of the most important chapters in the Bible, and he talks about the resurrection throughout this chapter. But notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. In other words, we, we're not all going to die. But we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You know, you read that right there, and it's a, it's a really, it's a really solid cross-reference to the fact that there will be a generation that won't die. There will be a generation, just like we saw in the video, 
The only difference that I would say in all reality is that when the rapture happens, they will see us rise. We're not just going to disappear. Even Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, the Bible says he was taken away and they saw him. And so we are going to rise uh, and we're going to be taken away. Not everybody's going to die, but we are all going to be transformed. And that word right there, it basically is like a, you know, like, you know, in our house, we have the a little plant in front of our house. And it's been amazing to see all these caterpillars for whatever reason. I guess they like this certain plant and maybe it tastes good. I don't know how it all works, but man, we got all these different caterpillars. And then, you know, before you know it, you see the cocoon hanging and then before you know it, you see the butterflies and they're just flying around. You know, right now, what we are, we're like creepy caterpillars. No no offense, you know. But we live in a fallen state. And, you know, one day God's going to give us a body that will be able to inhabit heaven, a body that will not decay, a body that will be able to be there in the presence of God without sin. And that's going to ho- happen any moment now and and that's why we have to be ready you know someone might think this is kind of weird and they might think well it's impossible and you might even be a christian that says well nothing like that has ever happened but you know over in the book of genesis if you want to turn there to genesis chapter 5 we'll see the 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 real clear picture of the rapture of the church in a man by the name of enoch Is that like a Star Wars? I'm not sure about that. But Genesis 5, in verse 21, notice it says that Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God And he was not, for God took him. What we find right here is Enoch is a picture of the rapture of the church. Someone might say, well, this is kind of strange. Is there a biblical precedence to it? Absolutely. And the thing that I I like about Enoch is that he just disappeared. You know, they they couldn't find him. We're going to see Hebrews 11 verse 5 tells us that he didn't die. He didn't see death. And if you want to get raptured and if you want to be part of that church, one of the things that we see with Enoch that's repeated is the fact that he walked with God. He walked with God. You know, and to me it's important because there is like a, you know, different opinions on this and I and I just want you to be ready. I got to present it to you in a fashion that would just do the utmost to make sure you're ready and you know it doesn't just say that he, you know, was, you know, saved or whatever. It doesn't necessarily say that he, you know, was, you know, a believer. It says that he walked with God. And I and I and I just want to encourage you that if you want to be ready for the rapture, you know, walk with God. That's a daily basis. That's one's moral journey. And then there's another thing over in Hebrews chapter 11, which is kind of a a commentary on Enoch. Hebrews 
Look what it says in Hebrews 11 in, in, in verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God. You know, and... You know, it was you guys who accepted the Lord and prayerfully, that's as simple as it, it gets and, and that's it. But I want to encourage you to make sure that you know that you know that you know that you know that you're ready for the return of Christ. The guy that's given to us as an example was a man who walked with God and he was a man who pleased God. You know, try to do those things. You know, try to say, Lord, is this your will for my life? Lord, is what, am I, what I'm doing or, or whatever is going on in my life, is it pleasing to you? And you let him answer you. And you let the Lord follow. Let the Lord lead your life. Because as you're there, I, I believe that we'll do our utmost and you'll do your utmost to be really ready for the rapture. You know, as you listen to Bible studies and as you read books, you know, some people have the question as far as when it's going to happen in the theological framework and calendar. And there are some who say that, you know, it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Others say it might happen at the end of the tribulation. And to be honest with you, you know, they're, they're, they're Christian brothers. I'm, I'm not going to say that they're not saved but I think when you just kind of do a simple study of the Bible, you realize that those views don't really line up with Scripture. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says in reference to the rapture that no man knows the day or the hour. You know, we don't know the day or the hour. But when you read the Bible, we will know the middle day of the rapture. We will know the last day of the rapture. Because the seven-year tribulation is, is seven years, 360-day years. We know it's going to start the moment that the Antichrist enters into a covenant with Israel, according to Daniel 9.27. That's why the Bible gives you the exact numbers of the days where you can know the middle of the tribulation, the end of the tribulation. So if no man knows the day or the hour, and the rapture is one of those then it can't be because what we find is that the only day we don't know is the actual beginning of that day. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And so he says in Matthew 24, 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And another side note real quick, just in case you see a billboard, it says Jesus is coming on this day. Have you guys ever heard seen those things? Some of those guys on TV, they tell, oh, Jesus is coming on this day. We don't know. We do not. That's a false prophet, right? Because we don't know the day of his coming. Another thing that's interesting, if you study the Bible carefully, you'll notice that there is a different gathering of angels when you look at the end of the tribulation and the beginning, there are different trumpets involved. And not only that, the, the Bible says that the church is not appointed to wrath. I don't know if you're still in First Thessalonians or not, but if you are, look at chapter 5 in verse 9. It says in First Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you study the tribulation period, you'll find, according to Revelation 6, 15, 5 through 17, that the tribulation period is explicitly identified as the day of the wrath of the Lamb of God. That's the tribulation period. You know, if we're going to go through the tribulation period, then 1 Thessalonians 5.9 doesn't add up. We're not appointed to wrath. As a matter of fact, you remember the story in the book of Genesis chapter 18 when the Lord came to Abraham and two angels were with him? And if you remember the story right there, it's so cool how the Lord was uh, friends of Abraham. He would tell him secrets. And the Lord was on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember. And so Abraham, knowing that he had a nephew there in Sodom and Gomorrah, began to talk to the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, far be it from you that you would destroy the righteous with the wicked. You wouldn't do that, huh, Lord? And, you know, they started having their conversation. And at the end of the day, the Lord said, no, I wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And so the angels went in there and they took Lot and his three daughters and his two daughters and his wife out, right? And so that's what the Lord is going to do prior to the tribulation period, right? You know, prior to the flood, God took Noah out. It's a principle that we see in scriptures. You know, it's kind of like one person told me like this. If my house had termites and I was going to fumigate it, I wouldn't leave my kids in there, right? <laughs> it's kind of the same principle. God's going to God's going to rock this world. There is a war, there is a judgment coming that is unparalleled. And Jesus even said unless those days were shortened, no one would survive. It's going to be crazy. We as his church, we're not going to be here. God's going to take us out. Now, what we find also, and just again, you guys, because I, I know you come across teachings like this, and I, we don't talk about it a whole lot, but you know, those who believe the church is going through the tribulation period, you want to know who they're looking for? They're actually looking for the Antichrist. Because according to their theology, he comes first. No, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, lift your eyes, because he's coming, Right? And that's what we find. We've got to be looking for the Lord, abiding in him, so that we would be spared this terrible tribulation. You know, we believe in Revelation chapter 3 that what we are today, you guys, we are the church of Philadelphia. And in Revelation 3 verse 10, the Bible says, Jesus said, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. The Lord is promising to them, I'm going to keep you from that tribulation. And so it's cool when you read Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, you have, the, you have the church age, and then boom, what do you have next? There's words there in Revelation. It says, come up here, right? And then boom, you find that the church is not mentioned all throughout the tribulation. Why? Because we get raptured. You know, there's a movie out right now. I don't know if you guys know about the movie. It's called, um, I think it's called Left Behind. Have any of you guys seen the movie, just out of curiosity? Yeah, they showed it to us at the a pastor's conference. And, um, you know, it's probably not going to get like a, an Oscar or anything like that. You know, I'm not going to tell you like, oh, it's like the best movie as far as, uh, you know, that type of critical 
aspect goes. But I will tell you this, man. You go check check that movie out. It's 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 pretty cool, man. There's this in the it's the rapture. It's the you know they're talking about Christ. It's actually to me it's it's a decent flick. And you might want to go for yourself, or maybe you have a friend that that needs to you know kind of like get the hell scared scared out of them or something like that. Get that you know just I mean really. You know, I don't know. You say, I'll buy you some a ticket, popcorn, and check it out. And they're like, I want Jesus. You know, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I don't know. No, it just makes you think. And and, the, and like the, the thing that like I'm, I'm sharing with you guys today is that it's not like, like you know, some far-fetched fantasy. No, this is, this is reality. This is going to happen, and it's going to happen at any moment. Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 34 through 36, I tell you, that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. And two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field and the one will be taken and the other left. And so Paul says, you know, right there, verse 17, that, that we who are alive, and remain. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so what does he say? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You guys, death is not the end. It's, it's just the beginning. But you have to choose Jesus Christ, and you have to make those continual decisions you know, to walk with him and to please him so that not only will we get raptured, man, but we'll be experiencing the life that he has for us on, on planet Earth. And so, you know, again, I don't know how to articulate this, man, but I was really just asking the Lord, you know, to change my heart, you know, to really work within me so that I would live the rest of my life, and I don't know, no one knows how much longer we even have in that, but I would live my life just always ready, seriously ready uh, for the return of the Lord. And I'll close with one last uh, story that I read. It was about a little girl, and she, uh, I guess they had studied this in her Sunday school uh, that morning, and so she learned about the, the rapture of the church. And she learned about the coming of Jesus. And so afterwards, she was talking to her mom. And she said, Mommy, do you believe that Jesus can come back soon? And the mom said, Yes. And she said, Do you believe Jesus can come back today? And the mom said, Yes. And then the little girl said, Do you believe that Jesus can come back at, in any minute? Or in any moment? And the mom said, yes. And then the little girl, she said, Mommy, would you comb my hair? And I read that story and I said, Lord, give me that heart.
he's here today to just get your heart ready. And so I pray you know. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.